Welcome to H2O Church. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. My name is Matt Party. I'm one of the pastors here with H2O Network. And we are finishing up a series today called You Were Meant for This. This is a series in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be back in there again this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can open to that chapter. And um, I'm excited about sharing about this today. There's some personal things that I want to share that God's just been doing uh, in, in our network and in my life, and in, uh, we're just very excited about This is just a, such a great chapter for the question that we've all always been asking is like, how do I fit into this? What, what is God doing in my life? What's the big story? And, and what's that mean for me individually? And so we're excited to share this with you today and finish up this series. Why don't I pray? And we will jump right in. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, as we were just singing that song, uh, Lord, it really resonated in my heart once again that you can have this whole world, but just give us you. Give us your presence. That is the most important thing in our lives. And that's why we're here this morning. Lord, the world has many things to offer us, and the world provides many distractions in our lives. But Lord, when we come to you and say, God, what am I meant for? The first thing is just our relationship with you. And so would you speak to us again personally today? Lord, would you move the the junk out of our hearts and the distractions and the things that, that fill us up that aren't supposed to be there? Empty us so that we might be filled with your spirit and filled with your truth. Lord, we are so needy of that, and we need your grace, and we need your help to accomplish that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, we wanted to make a family memory right after Thanksgiving. My wife had this great idea that the day after Thanksgiving, we were going to go and cut down our first tree. We had an artificial tree in our house for all all of our family's time, and Marilyn's like, hey, why don't we go cut down a tree, and we'll have a real tree this year, and it's going to be awesome. I was like, yeah, that'll be fun. Let's go do that. So we as a family, we went out to this place, and they had all these trees, acres and acres of Christmas trees, and we're going out thinking, yeah, let's make a cool family memory. So we start looking around, and then first off, I found the perfect tree. And it was just so symmetrical and everything that we wanted. I was like, hey, we got it. Boom. I don't like shopping very long. Okay, we're here three minutes. This is it. Let's get out of here. Well, they didn't like that tree. So I, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. We're, this is family memory, family time. That's cool. So we just keep looking and we find another tree. And somebody didn't like that one. And we found another one and we didn't like that. And some liked them tall. Some liked them shorter. Some liked them with the long soft needles some like the blue spruces and all of a sudden we're like 30 minutes 45 minutes it's getting cold like are we ever going to decide on a tree here and it got frustrating to be honest I was starting to think like man this is really turning into a moment of conflict and not a positive memory that we were hoping to make so I thought, okay, you know what, I'm just going to, I want to get out of here. I'm just going to buy five trees. We'll, we'll plant them all over the house and make everybody happy. I just want to get out of here. Well, finally, we compromised and found this tree. And it ended up being a great day, and we got a pick from it there. And, uh, and it was really a fun time. You know, going just the five of us 
to do this simple task of agreeing on a tree, we realized how different all of our opinions were. You would think that this would be some simple thing that we would just go and do together and it would be really awesome. But all of the different personalities and the things that we liked and the things that we were interested in started to become a a division between us. And you know, the same thing happens in the church. When we are trying to live life together and we're trying to do ministry together, We kind of forget the purpose of what we're trying to do, and we start letting our individual passions and our our differences and the things that we like and say, no, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way. And we can start allowing, possibly, conflict to come in. You know, when we went to look for the tree, it was, I needed to be reminded, it didn't matter what the tree was. It didn't matter what tree we picked, right? The point was that we were doing something together to just love each other and have fun together. And you know, in the church, there are literally hundreds of ways to do ministry. As long as we're following a biblical principle and we're not sinning and we're, we're looking to Scripture as the filter, there are so many different ways to do small groups and to do Sundays and to do music and to do teachings and all these different strategies and different passions can come into the church. And if we forget what we're doing, it's not about the Christmas tree. It's about being together. It's not about... You know, how we do certain strategic things in the church, it's about loving and glorifying Jesus together. And we can allow the conflict to come in. And that is exactly what was happening in 1 Corinthians here. In that Corinthian church, you've probably been hearing this over and over again, but this church cared more about their own way and their passions and what they felt they were right about, that they forgot the whole mission. You see, as we're moving God's mission forward, we cannot be divided and win. We were meant to do this together with love and purpose. As you and I sit here this morning, we have to be aware that there is an enemy that's always trying to bring conflict into our relationships. He's always trying to divide us. He's always trying to to take our eye off of the ball of loving each other and glorifying God together. And the very passions and likes and talents that he put inside of us to win as a team can distract us and get us divided, and then we're going to lose. So we're picking this up again in 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul is constantly reminding them through this book over and over again with this repetition of what the game plan is. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, Then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Paul is giving them this This partial list. In two other New Testament books in the Bible, it goes through different lists. 
And this isn't necessarily a comprehensive list of the gifts, but Paul is throwing this example out again that we are all wired differently. God has placed different gifts in each one of us to work together for this greater good to serve one another and serve the world. But let me unpack this a little bit. First, let's start with just what is the body of Christ, okay? We're going to look at the big picture as if you were in an airplane up 30,000 feet. You know, if you're in an airplane and you're up 30,000 feet and you're kind of looking down, you can really just kind of see the earth. You don't really see a lot of detail. So we're kind of up really high right now, just the big picture. What is Paul talking about? He says, Corinthians, you are the body of Christ. What exactly does that mean? We know through Scripture that he isn't just talking about the physical human body of, of Jesus, which did exist during that time before he ascended. Not just literally the body of Christ, but what the body of Christ is, is the group of believers in this world. The first uh, fill-in is that we are a team of believers. That's the body of Christ. That we are this team of believers. In, first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it makes it very clear. This is just kind of the gospel. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. The basic principle of the gospel is that you and I cannot just go to heaven with our best effort. You and I are not going to get a, a B minus or a C plus in our own effort, in our own works, because we're a good guy or a good girl. We're not going to just go to heaven because we're pretty good people. All humanity has a major problem called sin. We've all messed up. We're all in the same boat together, and we need redemption. We need forgiveness. And this forgiveness comes through the blood of Jesus. I love this verse at the end here. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. That word lavished means just like poured over you. If you imagine a waterfall of forgiveness, the Niagara Falls of forgiveness are being poured out on you every day if you have believed this message and you have Christ in you. You cannot outsin the cross. No matter what you've done in your past and how ashamed you might be of things in your past, the riches of His grace have overcome that so that you might have forgiveness. So since Jesus died for everybody, we know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Does that mean everybody's going to heaven? Well, let's read on in Ephesians 1.13. In Him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which I just was commenting on, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's so key. We have to hear this. We have to know the truth. We can't just believe in everything that's out there. We have to believe the gospel of the truth here. And after hearing it, we have to personally believe that in our hearts. And when we believe that, something amazing happens at that very moment. We are sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
So if you have come to this, this mental and heart decision that this is true, and you've asked Jesus to come into your life, this word seal, that means that there's a Greek word there that means the king would have his, his signet ring, and he'd put that little wax on the note, and he would, he would seal it. He would press his, his, his ring into that, and it would be sealed. And that would be a done deal. This is from the king, and you don't break that seal until the person that's received it gets it into the right hands. And what this is saying is the moment you believed, and only God knows if you were sincere in that, in that belief, he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He came into your life, and you are going to be delivered safely into heaven because of your faith. That is such amazing news to, to people like me that are such sinners. People that had such a past that, that I'm ashamed of the things that I did when I was younger. Still ashamed of things that I do today. And in my brokenness, in my selfishness, when I give in to the flesh, when I let the wrong thoughts turn in, to actions, or I ponder those thoughts, all the things that we do, all the things through our life that just add up and can bring guilt and shame into our lives. This is amazing news that it isn't based on my obedience, it's based on my faith that I'm not going to obey all the time. That is amazing news to us. And if you this morning have made that decision and you believe that, then you are a part of the body of Christ. Now, why are we still here? If we're sealed for redemption, you know, we could just be teleported up to heaven. That would be awesome, right? Why are we still here? Well, now we're going to come down to the 10,000-foot view. What exactly is the body of Christ doing? What are we supposed to be doing here? And really, you know, evangelical churches, they share this in many different ways of like, they try to just boil it down, but it really comes down to two things, knowing God and making him known. That's really the mission statement of, of, of Christian churches. The reason that we're still here, what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing is getting to know God better and number two, making him known to all the people that aren't a part of the body of Christ yet. So you and I have now entered into this relationship with Christ through our faith. Now, the really good stuff starts where we get to know him. You know, when I married Mary Lynn 17 years ago, that was an awesome day. That was so fun. So many great memories, so many pictures. That was awesome. Then we went on our honeymoon, and that was awesome too. That was just a great, great week, right? Now, what if after that week was over, I said, man, Mary Lynn, we're married. That was an awesome week. It was great knowing you. You know, this has just been a really fun time. I'm going to remember you, have a great life. You know, man, this is just awesome. Thank you. And we parted ways. That would be the most ridiculous thing, right? We don't marry someone and then just have this experience and move on. You have now been intimately united with the creator of the universe, God. Now's when the good stuff starts. 
where you really get to know him. You live your life with him. You talk to him. You let him talk to you through the spirit, through the scriptures. And you really get more and more intimate with him for decades of your life. And if you've become a Christian and you've just let yourself drift from this relationship and you're in this really dry time where God feels a million miles away, you're missing out on the sweet stuff. And he wants to know you and he wants you to know him better. You know, Mary Lynn and I say this all the time, as much as we love our relationship and we have a great marriage, I wish people would have a marriage like ours. Our intimacy with God is so much more important to us than our own relationship. And Mary Lynn is an amazing wife, but God meets my needs so much more. And I try to be a good guy to her, but she'd say God meets her needs much more than I could meet her needs. We desperately, individually, need that walk with God. It's the best part of our life. And you see, if God never even has marriage in store for you, you're not missing out because what you were meant for is to really be intimate with God and to know Him and to walk with Him every day. And if you are missing out on that, that intimacy and that closeness, then you're missing out on just Christianity 101. We can't move on and say, well, what's the next thing? What's, what's 201 and what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, the first thing you're supposed to be doing with your life is being in love with God and enjoying his love. And then the second thing is, is making him known to other people. I just saw this really cool movie the other day, um, The Finest Hour, where these guys, these Coast Guard guys, had to risk their life. Uh, constantly and go out and find other ships that were sinking or people that were in trouble, people that were drowning. And these Coast Guards would risk their own life to go out and, and, and rescue people, to save people's lives. And in this movie, um, you know, they had to go out. This, this ship literally had broken in half, and these men were going to drown. And it was one of those northeastern storms that was just so bad and so cold and rainy and they couldn't see. And the waves were so high that they even thought the Coast Guard boat was going to capsize. But they risked their life to go out deep to find these people. And it's based on a true story. It was a really cool movie. And, and they get out there and this boat's only supposed to hold like 20 people. And they get 35 guys off of this ship onto this boat. And they can't even see. And they, they bring them back safe to the harbor where all of these family members are waiting with their headlights on in the dark of the night, hoping and praying that their loved ones are brought back safely. And when they pull into the harbor, you know, against all odds, people are just crying and they're so happy that their loved ones have been saved. The body of Christ, you and I, we are here like a Coast Guard mission. God has asked you to come with him through the big waves to go out and find the people that were drowning just like us and get them on the boat and to help them be saved from their sin. It's an amazing privilege, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to be invited into this Jesus, before he ascends, he says, go. That's a huge word right there. Go. Don't sit there. Don't be to yourself. Don't be about yourself. 
Don't be passive. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all to do all that I commanded you. And remember, and remember I'm with you always. The things that you and I are learning, we're supposed to be passing that on to other people. We're supposed to be going to make disciples. Really, that means encourage other people to be followers of Jesus like you. And if you're sitting there and you're just a normal Christian, you're uncomfortable right now. If you're just a normal Christian, you're like, that scares the heck out of me. I don't want to go and encourage other people to be Christians. I'm good. I'm happy. Jesus has changed my life. I'm great. I don't want to do that. Again, this is 101. This is why we are here. This is what the body of Christ is doing. To go out there as representatives to help people become Christians. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul again saying to the same church in a different letter. Saying, guys, you really, you're still not getting it. Let me remind you of the mission. Let me remind you why we're on the team. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You and I are representatives for Christ. That is a a humbling, amazing concept. As though God... We're making an appeal through us. As if you are God's spokesperson to your roommates, your co-workers, your neighbors, the people around you. God is speaking through you. God is making an appeal through you. What is he saying? I beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are spokesmen. We are spokespeople. We are a megaphone to this world, begging them, imploring them. Another version says imploring, strongly encouraging people that they're not right with God and they need to be reconciled to God. That is why here at H2O in the body of Christ, we we take part in that is that we strongly desire people to be reconciled to God. We strongly desire people to be reconciled to God. And again, if that's overwhelming to you, I just want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is with you. And you have power to do this, not through your own effort, but through the Holy Spirit to to three things. Just be an example. Live your life in a way that's attractive to other people. Two, serve people. Love people. And then three, When you get that opportunity, give them the words of truth, which I just said to you. You know, as a Christian, people are scrutinizing you, aren't they? The people in your life that know you're a Christian, they're watching you, whether whether you know it or not. And the way you talk and what you do, all the things that you're like in a little, you know, microscope. So your example can be very powerful to them. And the service things that the body of Christ do are amazing to me. Do you know what's being done in the body of Christ around this world? I just think of, you know, 
Samaritan's Purse, and I think of the Operation Christmas Child and the Red Cross and hospitals and missions and disaster relief and the amount of money that's given and, and, and people going to other countries and starting schools, starting orphanages, doing everything that's just so needed in this world, amazing things in the realm of Christianity. It's, it's impressive. It's so cool. And all of these people, and many of you have done this, you go on spring break trips, you, you go to leadership training, you go to all these different compassion things and, and, and food for thought and the daughter project, all of these things, literally thousands and thousands of things and millions and millions of dollars that Christians give in the body of Christ. Why? To beg people to be reconciled to God. They do these amazing things and they say, we do this because Jesus has changed our life and we want him to change yours. You and I are invited into that. Okay, now we're going to come down a little bit further to the thousand foot view. What is the body of Christ doing close to home? Close to home. This is just our tiny little niche in the body of Christ. It's small, but God is speaking to us As a leadership team, he's speaking to us as a group of pastors to build this H2O network. That's our little corner. We're excited about what God's doing and everything, but this is our little part, is to plant churches on college campuses. That's what we do. The H2O network plants and grows collegiate churches devoted to the Great Commission, which I just shared a little bit ago. Through bold proclamation of the gospel, intensive leadership development, and focused church planning, we're building a network of churches that will greatly influence this country and the world for Jesus Christ. We have a crazy thought that we can keep planting churches on college campuses, which doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, that by doing that, we can change this country and this world. And the more we do that, the more it seems that God is giving us crazy favor to do amazing things. Many of you know nine years ago or so we had this, this, this thought, this, this impression from God that this is what we should do. At that time, we had about 200 people at BG here. Now we have 10 churches with about 2,000 people. There's a map with just all the different churches. There's one in, in Orlando, Florida, and there's one in Austin, Texas. And we believe that we are just getting started. And God keeps telling us, the more you do this, the more you step out in faith and try to do this thing that people say, how in the world do you do college church? How can you do a church with college people? They're only there four or five years and there's no money there. How could you possibly do this? We say, yeah, that is crazy. Um, and, And it's hard. But God is providing amazing people like you to help us accomplish this. When we go out and we raise support and people say, that doesn't make any sense that you could grow like that. We tell them two things. It is a wave of God. We take zero credit. It is God doing it. And the second thing that we tell them is we can't believe how many amazing college students there are out there like you that go to the well, that want to lead small groups, that say, I want to love Jesus at college. Even though it's a stereotypical place of leaving their faith, people like you that say, I want to, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to lead. 
I want to be somebody that people don't expect me to be. And this network has grown because you guys, even though you're, you're young, you're taking on leadership and taking initiative that people that are 40, 50, 60 years old don't do. And I am so impressed by what you're doing. And I'm so amazed at your faith. It is ridiculous what we have done because of you college students taking this baton of the Great Commission and just letting God work through you. It's phenomenal. It's a a great privilege to be a part of it. Speaking of you, we're coming to the last thing. The plane's getting ready to land. We're at 100 feet now. You can really see everything very clearly. When we boil down the body of Christ, really the most common question you ask is, okay, what does this mean for me personally? What was I meant for? And again, we mentioned all these gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God has placed in the church all these different things. And hopefully from this message and from this series, you've gotten this. That God has placed in you very special talents and gifts. The thing that gets you excited and the thing that you're passionate about, God put that there. Not just for you to have a good career and make money and use that gift for your own selfish gain and to get ahead or for people to look at you and say, wow, that person's a great teacher. That person's a great engineer. That person's a great this or that. Yeah, that's awesome. But the main thing that that's in you for is to bring glory to God. So whether you go into ministry with that gift, glorify God. If you're going to be a teacher, glorify God at that place. Whether you're an engineer, a social worker, whatever it is that you do, God has placed some cool talents in you to use for His glory. And so, you know, for me, The very first time that this really was hitting home was when I took that shape test that we do in the well. The well is our our beginning class or our, our kind of our beginning foundations of what it means to follow Christ. And as a person that was very insecure when I was young and and very broken, it was really hard for me to believe that God could use me, that there was any part for me. And when I looked around the church, all I saw were people better than me, more talented than me, more together than me. And it just took me so much to overcome my own insecurities to think that God could use me. And that shape test kind of put that seed that God spoke and said, I can use you. And it really has reminded me as we, as we close today of, of this form of art called the, the, this Japanese bowl. And I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but it's this really cool type of art. And this Japanese bowl, in the first picture you'll see there, are these broken pieces. And for many of us sitting here, maybe, maybe not all of you, but many of us, we feel like that first picture. We feel so broken. Like way down deep where no one sees when we're by ourselves, we think, man, I am just, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can walk with God because I'm just so broken. I got a lot of issues. I don't know if I could even try to be a leader because I have so much brokenness in my life. And what this art does 
is you put these pieces together, and I don't know how well you can see it in the picture, but in between is this beautiful gold glaze that puts the pieces back together again. And this gold glaze not only puts it back the way it was supposed to be, but it seals it so that it's watertight again. This bowl was meant to hold something, hold a liquid. And when it's broken, it just doesn't function the way it was supposed to. But this gold glaze can put it back together to do what it was meant to do. And you and I, we are broken people. And if we just stay broken, or we're convinced that we're always going to be that way, that nothing's ever going to change in our life because we're just so messed up, then we're going to really miss out on what we were meant for. And you know that gold glaze that's just so beautiful? That's God. That's God coming into your life and filling in those cracks, putting the brokenness back together. And you know what? I think it's more beautiful than it was before, isn't it? People love this because before it was just kind of a simple bowl, but now it's something beautiful. And God wants to put you back together, and you are going to be more beautiful as this vessel of God than you were before. But you have to surrender this to him. You have to allow him to put that back together. And as we do that together individually, as we do that as a congregation, as we do that as the body of Christ, people are going to look at that and say, that is beautiful. You are a beautiful person. And you can say, man, I'm broken, but Jesus has changed me. Jesus has put me back together. And let me tell you about that. You and I have this beautiful privilege to let God put things back together and be used by him. Let's pray that we allow him to do that.